If you will, turn in a copy of God's Word to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, uh, we'd love to give you one. There's a stack of Bibles that look like this on the way out the back door. We'd love to give you one. Feel free to use the one in the pew Bible, the pew Bible in front of you. You can find Galatians 5, 16 through 26, our text this morning, on page 1815, 1815. Let's pray that the Lord would bless the reading and preaching of His Word. So, Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word this morning as we come to you on the Lord's Day. Father, help us to understand what it says, to apply it to our lives, that our hearts would be tilled up by the Holy Spirit to receive your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I pray that in this time that I would decrease and you would increase. In the name of our Savior, we ask it. Amen. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. As I mentioned before, this week is General Assembly. And our denomination believes that the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice. That means it's faith, what we believe and practice, what we do. It is the only standard for these things. Everything we do seeks to be in line with the Word of God. But if you'd like to know what we think the Scriptures say and what they teach, we have these documents called the Westminster Standards the Confession of Faith, and the larger and shorter catechism. And I commend them to you because while they, we think of them as just a theological set of documents, they're really quite pastoral. I think in the whole set of standards, the greatest section is chapter 18 of the Confession of Faith. It's entitled, Of Assurance of Grace and Salvation. It's all about how we can have assurance of salvation. Now, the Christian life is one in which it is often common to, to wax and wane, to, to grow and to diminish in our assurance of salvation. You need to know that's normal. Some folks never struggle with assurance of salvation. Others do struggle their whole lives. There was one great hymn writer by the name of, of Cooper, spelled Cowper, C-O-W-P-E-R, who, who struggled with a lot of depression. One of his greatest hymns was, O love that will not let me go. Uh, and he struggled with depression and assurance of salvation all the days of his life. This great saint in the Lord. 
But the Bible does not leave us without help when it comes to knowing if we're saved or not. And this chapter in the Confession of Faith, chapter 18, is very helpful. And it lays before us three things that we can look for for evidences of our salvation. And I commend them to you. We can abbreviate them with the, the acrostic um, PIC, P-I-C. And the first is the promises of God. The promises of God. See, as we look to the scriptures, what is the greatest place where we find assurance of salvation? It is in the promises of God. God promises if we call upon him, if we seek him while he is near and to be found, as even as we said in Isaiah 55, then we will find him. And he'll give us rest for our souls. If we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Christ is Lord and he was raised from the dead, then we will be saved. The Bible makes a great promise that that God has taken our sin and put it upon the shoulders of Christ. And if we believe in Him, then we can have forgiveness of sin, the pardon of His sin, of our sin, and and be justified before Him, receive Christ's righteousness. This is an amazing promise. If you are faltering in your knowledge of your assurance of salvation, go here first. Go to the promises of God. For the promises are amazing. And they are true. And every promise according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. How do we know that God fulfills His promises? Because He fulfilled His promise on the cross. That when the covenant was transgressed, when the covenant was broken, the covenant made all the way back in Genesis 15 to Abraham, that someone had to pay. And someone paid. It was our Savior, our God, Jesus. The second thing to look for is the inward testimony of the Spirit. So the first, the promises of God. The second is the inward testimony of the Spirit. The Spirit works in us, and He confirms to us that we belong to God. Especially as we seek the Lord through His Word and the sacraments and prayer, the Lord uses those things by the Spirit to confirm to us that we belong to Him. We see this expressly laid out in in Romans 8 where we read, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Some people are blessed with the knowledge, that innate knowledge that I belong to Jesus. And the Spirit gives us that. He testifies to our souls that we belong to Him. So the promises of God, inward testament of the Spirit. And the last one, pick, P-I-C, see a changed life. A changed life. This comes really from our text this morning. You see, if the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, if He sets up shop, if He brings us tent, if He tabernacles within us, if He makes us a temple of the Lord, you better believe there are going to be changes in our lives. He's not going to leave us as we once were. Our lives are not going to be the same as those around us. That's not to say we don't struggle with sin every day of our lives until the day we go to be with the Lord until He comes again. But there will be a difference between who we were and who we are. There will be fruit in our lives. And so Paul is going to pick up on this theme this morning. And he's going to give us two lists. The works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he asks which one defines you. See, we can think about it a lot as a garden. We've planted a garden this year. And for the first time, we have grown, we've planted something that we haven't killed. Now, I credit all that to my bride, to Thomas, 
<laughs> and, uh, and Charles Fountain. Uh, <laughs> very thankful for Charles Fountain. Um, but we have this garden. And you know, what you plant is what pops up. The seed is what grows. And though there may be many a seed that I have no clue what it is, I can plant it in the garden. It's the right season, and I water it like I'm supposed to, and all the things. It'll, it'll show up, and it'll show me what it is. Just like this. Uh, same way with our souls. What comes out of us? What are we defined by? Are we defined by these things on, the, on this list, the works of flesh, or are we defined by the fruit of the Spirit? Now, we will be tempted in the, these things that are in the works of flesh, there's no doubt. And we may fail many a time. But for the believer, he will find victory, and his life will not be defined by these things. Well, let's look at these. This first list is the, the works of the flesh. This is not a list of unforgivable sins, by the way. I need to tell you that again. This is not a list of unforgivable sins. It is not as though if you were to commit one of these sins that all of a sudden you would find your salvation rendered helpless or void. See, your sins, if you're a Christian, were paid for at the cross. These sins and more. We find forgiveness when we fail time and time again. This this text, these describe the person in unrepentant sin, the one who knows their sin, has no desire to go away from their sin, and whose life has not been changed by the Lord. So we get this picture, the works, the flesh. We can follow many commentators here by dividing them into four groups. And this first one is of a sensitive nature. I know we have some young ears here. Uh, and it's of a sexual nature. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, or debauchery. And let me just kind of summarize these three things without going into great detail. Um, this first word is the word we get uh, is pornea, the word we get pornography from. This and the others would indicate any kind of activity or intimacy that happens outside of the biblical confines of marriage as God has provided between one man and one woman united in matrimony before the Lord and God's people. And unrepentant, in this, unrepentant activity in this area is a symptom of a heart that doesn't know the Lord. The impurity that it brings, perversion, the impurity it brings is a very damaging one. And if we are believers, it hinders our relationship with the Lord. But I think it's this third one, sensuality, that is the one that that runs most rampant in the church. It's the one that we've grown most accustomed to and, and made the most excuses for. As we think about the television shows that we watch. The things we see on television shows now couldn't be on a magazine 50 years ago behind a counter somewhere. It's gotten that bad, and we make lots of excuses, don't we? Lots of excuses. This area is one that run, runs rampant in our um, society, and even now is before the Supreme Court. The second set, though, of the works of the flesh is the sin of idolatry, which would include idolatry, and sorcery or witchcraft, depending on how your, trans, your verse, uh, version translates it. See, man was made to worship something. And the flesh that is at work in us seeks to take our gaze off of the Creator and put it on the creation. 
We see this logic in Romans 1 that the flesh is seeking to take our gaze off of the Creator and put it on His creation. If we worship anything besides the living God, we are worshiping something He created. It doesn't make any sense to worship something that was created. It only makes sense to worship the true and living God. And though we may not bow down before idols in our culture, there are plenty of cultures that do, it's not that we don't have them. Our idols have different names, don't they? Remington, Winchester, Bryant-Denny, Jordan-Hare, Apple, Apple, Uh, used car lot, Ford, Chevy, entertainment, leisure, the beach, sports, baseball, football, status, being famous. These things uh, are, are just as dangerous. And the flesh seeks to take our gaze off of our Savior and put it on things that will never satisfy us. Ever. The flesh is working against our best interests. The second, though, is, uh, is witchcraft or sorcery. In Paul's day, this was a, a very real thing that happened at, uh, at the temples for pagan worship. And the Greek word is a word that we might recognize. Pharmakia, from, from which we get the word pharmaceuticals or pharmacy. And, um, you know, when someone gets high on drugs, they are handing themselves over or potentially handing themselves over to demonic control. If we are not in the Spirit, we have opened ourselves up to demonic control. And we ought to be very careful with that. Then we get into the sins of relationships. There's this long list of them here. Um, Hatred, strife, jealousy, fits of anger or or rage, rivalries or selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions or factions, and envy. You know what I've just described? Reality television. These are the things that make reality television interesting to watch. You want to look at something, go watch reality television, and it is um, the definition of the works of the flesh. Things like Big Brother and Survivor and The Bachelor. You know, these things are, um, celebrate these things in order to get the ratings to go up. But instead of celebrating these things, perhaps we ought to recognize them as they are symptoms of a heart that has not been regenerated. And then you have sins of excess, drunkenness and orgies. The drinking of alcohol in and of itself is not a sin. Let me say that again. The drinking of alcohol in and of itself is not a sin. In fact, Scripture celebrates the appropriate use, the godly use of alcohol. Psalm 104.15, to paraphrase it, says that God gave us wine to gladden the hearts of men. However, there are plenty of ways to sinfully use alcohol. If you're underage, period, full stop, it's a sin. If you use it to cause your brother to stumble... Period, full stop, it's a sin. Drunkenness is always a sin. And it's never to be tolerated. Because when we get drunk on something other than the Spirit, we are giving control up over our lives. When a person gets drunk, he or she gives up control of his emotions, his body, his inhibitions, and the control of the Holy Spirit. This is a sign. can be a sign, a symptom of a heart that has not been changed. Please take these things seriously. And orgies, this is, uh, we use it a little differently today, but it, it basically refers to a fraternity party. Uh, drunken partying or carousing. Um, but here's the thing. Paul ends this, with the four categories we talked about, with a fifth. And it says, in things like these. You know, it's, it's quite silly. Um, I wanted to be a doctor one time. 
it's no profession. They said, I wanted to be a doctor at some point. Uh, I can't stand the sight of needles. <laughs> never have. I just figured that would eventually go away. It never did as I went through that. Uh, many of you will know that if I've come to see you in the hospital, if there's ever a needle involved, I'll just go pray for you out in the hallway. <laughs> I was with somebody not long ago that took 30 minutes to get an IV, and I was outside the, uh, the curtain. I was about to pass out. It was just terrible. Uh, but I did take one and a half semesters of uh, biology in college, which is about as good as staying at a Holiday Inn Express last night. It doesn't do you a whole lot of good. <laughs> but if you research medical issues online, you will find lists of symptoms. And it always starts with symptoms may include, but are not limited to. Don't you love that? They always end in death, by the way. You know, <laughs> got a cold, ends in death. Uh, symptoms may include, but are not limited to. That's what Paul here says. And things like these, this is not a limited uh, list of sins. The heart is really good at, at making up excuses for sin, isn't it? I need to do this and check it out and see what that's like. And I need to know what I'm missing. And I need to make sure it works. And The heart's really good at that. The flesh is really good at that. Well, this other list is, is a really important one. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. The singular fruit of the Spirit, just like a, a pineapple is one fruit but has many different uh, facets and sides, the outside of it. Just like a pomegranate is one fruit but has many different pips if you open it up in the middle. Just like a diamond has many different facets that reflect the light that has shined upon it. So the, the Christian has many different facets of the fruit of the Spirit as it reflects, as he reflects, as she reflects the qualities of our Savior as He is shined in us by the Holy Spirit. These aren't as easy to categorize because positives are a lot harder to categorize than negatives. But that said, many commentators have pointed out this is really a character sketch of Jesus. That as we become more and more like Jesus, these things grow in us. And as these things grow in us, we become more and more like Jesus. This list defines the person who has a heart that has been remade. Is a new heart. It's not that he never struggles with sin every day. In fact, the struggle with sin seems to get harder and harder in the Christian life as you get older and older because the Lord shows you just how much you sin and just how serious it is that empowers you to deal with it. But think about this list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, he is the manifestation of God's love. And it was because of his love that he would die for people like me and you. Those who are wrecks. Joy, it is through his life. Though his life was one of hardship, he had godly joy. And for the joy that was set before him, he would endure the cross. Peace, he is the prince of peace. Patience. You know, if you've paid attention to his interaction with the disciples, his own people, much less the, uh, the um, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman officials, he had a lot of patience. He has a lot of patience with us, even as we struggle with our own sin. He is kind. He was kind to the sojourner, the poor, and the widows in his earthly mission. And he is kind to us now that he would woo us to himself. He is good, and it's because of his goodness and righteousness imputed to us or credited to our account that we can be made right with God. He is faithful, always faithful. Always faithful. Even when we are faithless, God is always faithful. Christ is always faithful to His people and to His promises. Even to the point of death on a cross. He is gentle. Isaiah 42 tells us that a bruised reed He will not break. A faintly burning wick He will not quench. 
He is a gentle shepherd and savior. And self-control, can you imagine the self-control needed upon that cross? As his creation, these Roman soldiers, these pipsqueaks were nailing him to a piece of wood. He could just zap out of existence right there and be fully justified. Can you imagine the self-control it took because of his love for his people? Because of his goodness, because of his kindness. So where do these things come from? In our lives, as we look at our lives, well, the works of the flesh come from us. And the unbeliever, all he has, all she has is the works of the flesh. But the believer has the Spirit within him, and he has a new heart. A new heart that springs forth good fruit. An ever-growing measure of good fruit. The Christian has in him every single one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in varying degrees. You praise the Lord, we have a God who changes hearts. Has your heart been changed? Has your heart been changed by God? Has the Spirit taken out your old, beating, your old heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh that beats after God and God alone? Anything that is good that comes from us isn't from us. It is from the Holy Spirit working in us. I, I, I marvel at the fact that our garden is still alive and, it, and it's bearing fruit. We were able to pull a lot of um, tomatoes off, I guess, uh, Friday afternoon. Or maybe it was yesterday, I can't remember. I didn't produce that growth. Only God did. Now, I watered it. We put some calcium stuff on it yesterday to try to get rid of the in, in, rot, in blossom rot, I think it's called. Thank you, Charles Fountain, for that. Uh, And so too, God alone produces the fruit within us. The fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's work within us. That we can water and that we can tend to our souls as well by reading the Word of God and praying and and being in church. It is God alone who produces these things. There are grave consequences to this. There are grave consequences to to the list that you find that describes you. See, verse 21, Paul says at the end of this list... I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a very stern warning, a sobering warning. Now when it says those who do such things, it's not as if if you have found yourself doing one of these sins, which I know all of you have, because I sure have, doesn't mean that all of a sudden you have lost your salvation. That's not what it's talking about. The NIV here, I think, helpfully translates it as those who live like this, who in unrepentant sin, whose lives are defined by these sins, with no repentance and no turning from the Lord. And let me just say, the text is clear. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's really sobering. We cannot remove the tension of this text. Not inherit the kingdom of God, let's just be very frank, means hell. But here's the great news. We serve a God who changes hearts. And He doesn't change hearts because they deserve to be changed. He doesn't change hearts because the people who own them do good stuff or even, even desire to help His neighbor. He does it out of His own good love and His own good mercy and His own good grace. He does it freely, without charge, without money. 
Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you a list of things to do. That way you can earn my salvation. No. And I will give you rest. Rest from your labors. Draw, to the ne- draw near to the Lord while he may be found. And he will give you rest. He will change your heart. If you are tired of, of the consequences of the sins of the flesh. If you know the, the eternal consequences of the sins of the flesh. If you're weary from all out battle. Turn to the Lord. He will change your heart. He will give you a new one. And when he does, fruit will begin to bloom everywhere. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. These things will start flowing out of us. Because all of a sudden, the one whom we have in us is the same one who made the heavens and the earth. And you better believe when he shows up in our hearts, things are going to happen. And he begins to give us self-control not to say yes to those sins of the flesh. And he gives us faithfulness to walk after God every day of our life. And he gives us joy even in the midst of hardship when things are tough. And appointments loom, doctor's appointments loom, tests loom, hardships loom, family issues loom. God gives us joy and peace even in the midst of all those things. My friends, these things couldn't come from me. These things couldn't come from you. They must come from the Spirit who lives inside of us. Praise the Lord we have a God who changes hearts and comes and lives with inside of us that we might walk after him. And Galatians 4 tells us that we will be co-heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ that we will inherit salvation. Those who are defined by unrepentant sin who have not been transformed by the Spirit will not inherit the kingdom. But those who are God's people, the redeemed, his elect, his people, will inherit salvation. And live with him for all of eternity in heaven. At the lock-in we sing Amazing Grace. And that last hymn or fourth, uh, fourth verse. Um, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. We've noblest days to sing God's praise because we've just begun. Do you realize 10,000 years is older than the whole planet earth is? As long as the earth has been around 10,000 years is longer than that. And we have just begun. Because we will spend an eternity with Him. We cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives any more than we can tape apples to a thorn bush and call it an apple tree. It just doesn't work. But when the Spirit moves in and sets up shop in our heart, He is constantly renovating our souls, throwing out that which is old and establishing that which is holy and true. And may that process that we call sanctification becoming more and more like Christ May it come to an end soon as Christ soon appears and draws his people home. Have you received Christ? We had several kids receive Christ this week. Have you received Christ? Have you turned your life over to him and accepted him as the Lord and Savior that he is? Christ died on the cross to give us new hearts. And he will give you a new one today if only you turn to him and ask for it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us new hearts, hearts that beat after you. Father, we cannot produce that in us which you require. And so, Father, we thank you that you give us the Spirit to help us to walk in your statutes and your commandments. We thank you that salvation is not by works, not by anything we could ever do. 
but based solely upon your love and the love with which you loved us, you tell us in Ephesians 2. Your grace and your love and your mercy. O oh Lord, I pray that you would move in our midst, grant us revival, and give us new hearts. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we ask it. Amen.